0: Good morning. Go ahead and sit down. Grab your seat. Say bye to your neighbors. Say, hey, we'll talk more at lunch afterwards. There's lots of places for lunch around here, right? Great lunch. Great lunch around here. Julia's is really close, really good. Well, hey, guys. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you. Um, We're going to be starting a new sermon series today if you read our uh, weekly email announcing it. uh, We're going to be in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. And um, what we love to do before we start a book of the Bible is we actually really like to unpack why we're here, what it actually is, and um, what we hope to accomplish in this series. Because a lot of times we can just take for granted, uh, we can say, hey, we're doing a book of the Bible and just start it. Well, let's take a step back is what we like to do and be like, wait, what exactly is this? Why are we here? You know, Um, so that's what we're going to be doing together this morning, and it's a really fun time of back and forth between Dave and I. Um, did you bring the whiskey this time, or smoking jackets? I guess we, we missed that. Just Yeah, the vodka. Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, so let's ha- take it away, Dave. What is Acts? What, what is this book of the Bible all about? What are we going to find in here?
1: Yeah, well, let me just say this. Like, this is, this is pretty cool that we get to do this as a church. Uh, this is one of my favorite times where we get to sit in these chairs and get to show you guys our sock game a little bit. We just, just. Mine's a little bland, actually. Is it a little bland? It, I should have, I should have. It's found... always next book of the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, the book of Acts is 28 chapters recounting the first 30 years of the Jesus movement. So from the time that Jesus dies, apparently has risen from the grave. And ascends into heaven. What happens over the next 30 years? And the reason it's called the Acts, or called Acts, is, is the longer title is Acts of the Apostles. So the apostles were uh, the first 12 leaders of the early church movement, 11 of which uh, were original disciples of Jesus that we see in the gospel. And then they add, we'll see, uh, another young man uh, to the mix. And then we'll see this character called Paul who comes onto the scene as well, who himself is an apostle. And um, so we're going to get to see that, the, the, the 30 years, what happens, how did it go from this tiny band of followers to a place where it's really primed and ready to take over uh, the, the Western world, which it does. And so uh, we get to see what, what happened, how does something like this work work? And uh, the book of Acts is actually part two of a two-part miniseries that the same author wrote. We have a similar language flow. And actually, uh, it's best to see the gospel of Luke and Acts as a two, two parts of the same story. Um, and so we'll explain a little bit uh, more there. But uh, it starts always to understand Acts. You have to understand the gospels. You have to understand the life of Jesus uh, and, 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 and the book of Acts will take us now beyond that as we begin to see how it moved from this one man to the rest of the world. So that's sort of what Acts is at its nitty gritty. Uh, but a question that we have to ask ourselves, and if you're not already asking this, other people are asking it, how can we trust that this, this record we have, this accounting of the things that happened in these 30 years, how can we trust that this is accurate history? How do we know it actually happened? Because if it's just a story, if it's just a fable, uh, why is it something to look to? And uh, we have to ask that question. And so what you see actually in the book of Acts itself is a lot of courtroom language. And so I want to take us to the courtroom. You might, you might even think of, of Jesus being on trial in the world, okay? So imagine you're in a courtroom and it's a murder case, if you want to convict somebody, you have to do three things. You have to find out, do they have occasion, which just means, were they in the country? Were they in the city? Did they have the occasion to commit the crime? You also have to have to prove that they had the means to commit the crime, uh, which is to say, you know, say you bludgeoned somebody to death.
0: Murder weapon, yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you have the strength to do that? Did you have the means to actually do it? So, uh, if a a tiny, petite uh, man is accused of killing a giant, you know, 350 pound, six foot eight man, did he have the means to actually do that? So, you have to establish occasion and means, uh, and then you also have to establish motive. Did they have the motive to commit this crime? So we're going to try to unpack each of those. So I'll start by asking Ryan a question, a question of occasion and means. Did the author of this book that we're about to study have the occasions and means to render an accurate record of the things that happened in real history? How do we know that?
0: Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, I love that question. And partly, I, I do love this courtroom language as well, because this courtroom language isn't something that we're just picking up in order to help you guys understand. This is actually something that is all the way through the, the New Testament. There is so much courtroom language in the New Testament. And so we, we want to unpack it in the same way, because we can really gather a lot of, of how these authors are talking. But um, you're asked questions of his, uh, his means Man, that's a, I mean, first we have to look at really the, the Acts itself. Like, how is Acts, what, what's the point of Acts? In order to answer the question of does he have the means, does he have the occasion? Well, what is he actually trying to do, you know? And so for that, we need to look at Acts chapter 1. We'll put it on the screens back here. Acts chapter 1, and, and uh, Luke starts the book of Acts like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so there's this cat named Theophilus. Theophilus is this guy who Luke is writing to. And like Dave said, this is a two-part series. And this second part actually has the same purpose, uh, that his first part has. Um, and that's and to look at that, it's right at the beginning of the ch- of Luke, of Luke chapter one. Um, and when we look at this here, right at the beginning of Luke, it says, inasmuch this is how he starts it all off, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty regarding the things that have been taught. So Luke is doing this thing where he's pulling together these works so that this Theophilus... Uh, a name that literally means God lover, whether this is a real guy or just kind of a a name that Luke is using. Um, We'll kind of unpack that that a little bit. But so that he may have certainty regarding the things that he's discovered. This this Theophilus, this is a Greek name. And so what's cool about that is um, this person didn't likely witness Jesus himself. Didn't look at Jesus himself, but has just heard about it. And and what Luke is saying here in the Gospel of Luke is, hey, so that you can have certainty, I'm going to write an account to you about Jesus. In Acts, this changes gears a little bit. He says, I'm going to write to you so that you may have certainty about this Jesus movement. I'm going to show you what the early church looked like which is kind of crazy. Like, if you want to have certainty about the Jesus movement, you need to look at the church. That's kind of opposite how we think right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, usually we say, uh, we love Jesus, not so much the church. Luke's saying the opposite here at the beginning of Acts, which is, it it fascinates me. It it really does fascinate me. Pretty crazy thought, all right? So that's what he's hoping to accomplish, Dave. And, um, but to answer your question, is he qualified? For such a task? Does he have the occasion? Does he have all the skills? Does he have all the observation necessary to do that? And uh, I would answer yes. Uh, and one of the reasons is, is that uh, we know that Luke is a doctor. Luke is a doctor. And we intrinsically trust doctors, don't we? They make us better. We, we know this because of the, there's a lot of language in Luke and in Acts that Luke uses, that no one else in the New Testament uses, and the only other places we really see it used in the first century is in medical literature, Uh, and so we we come to the conclusion that Luke is a doctor uh, through that, and then also Paul, um, at the end when he's closing up his letter to the Colossians, he says, only Luke the physician is with me, all else have left, so he's a faithful doctor i guess <laughs> he goes with you right till the very end so he's a doctor pretty smart intelligent guy um, and what you actually read his greek it's very eloquently written very skilled communicator luke is so that that that'd be one reason
1: yeah yeah well and and part part of that why paul will reference luke is because he was a traveling they were traveling companions so luke has the occasion to Uh, have intimate information that lots of other people wouldn't, which is probably why Theophilus asked him to do this work for him, because he knows that Luke has the ability and the relationships to go and get the eyewitness account and record for him uh, what's actually been happening across the Mediterranean world.
0: Yeah, and then uh, another reason that I would uh, point to Luke's kind of credibility here is that he has... um he has not included the death of Paul. And, and, and this is a very huge thing because Paul is one of the heroes here in the book of Acts. The second half of the book of Acts is all about following Paul around. What's Paul doing? Uh, how is he bringing the Jesus movement forward? But he doesn't include the death of Paul, which we know happened in the early 60s. And, and this is crucial for a, a couple reasons. First, it means that Luke finished his work and distributed it before Paul's death In the early 60s. So, this is, uh, many scholars get on board with this early dating of Luke, and and this means that um, it, it means that we can really trust what he's saying because the people who he was interviewing, those eyewitness accounts, other apostles, they would have been alive. And they would have been able to read it. And they would have been able to say, hey, something fishy's going on here if Luke was making anything up. They would have been like, hey, that's actually an embellishment. Uh, That's actually not exactly how that went. And so um, can we trust him in that? I would say that, yeah, we can, because it wouldn't have, this document would have been pushed to the side if there was falsities in it by the people who were there.
1: Yeah, that's that's such an important point, because uh, you'll hear this, a lot of people say, well, Lots of the Bible, including the book of Acts, there were written decades and decades after the people that were in here. And what we always do with people uh, after a few decades have gone by is we always think of them in good light and we always add some miracles to them. But that's not what's going on here. I think there's very good internal evidence that this book was written before Paul died, which means that Paul himself and Peter and all the other uh, people that were in it probably would have heard of it or read it themselves. And if it hadn't been true it wouldn't have continued to circulate as it did amongst all the churches because Luke would have been sort of exposed as sort of this embellisher when he's really talking about a high morality of truth, uh, let your yes be yes and no be no. So those those sorts of things ge- should give us a lot of confidence that what he's writing here, he has both the occasion and the means and, uh, as we'll see in a second, the motivation uh, to to make an accurate account.
0: Yeah, I think that what's great is you can... Look at Luke and say, yeah, he's, he's operating within history. You know, he looks at the, like, governments were changing like crazy in cities in the first century. Different rulers had different titles, and Luke gets them right every time with what that city was calling their rulers, magistrates, consuls, kings, governors. This is all radically changing in the first century. He gets it right every time. And so we can say, okay, Luke's a doctor. He's a trustworthy enough guy. He's operating within history. Okay, okay, okay. But isn't he a Christian too? Like, doesn't he have a conflict of interest? And, and isn't he kind of predisposed to, to get this to a favorable light for us, Dave? Like, can we really trust this guy? Isn't he just trying to put forth uh, kind of what his team's doing and how they're winning right now?
1: That seems like a fair question. Uh, to answer that question, we have to talk about that third element, which is motive. What is, is Luke actually trying to accomplish in the writing of this record? Now, I'll say this. Uh, imagine, as I know many of you are huge Bruce Springsteen fans. (laughs) Who doesn't love the boss, right? Imagine you you, uh, you were writing a biography of Bruce Springsteen, but you're also a huge fan. Does it follow that what you write about Bruce Springsteen cannot be true just because you are a fan of Bruce Springsteen? I don't think it necessarily is true that just because you're a fan, you are going to leave out the bad parts and only put in the good parts and make the good seem better. Now, of course, anybody uh, can lie, but it doesn't necessarily follow. So, so for those who say, well, he's got a conflict of interest, we can't trust Luke because he himself was a Christian, he was a big fan of Jesus, of course, he's going to speak favorably about it, uh, it doesn't necessarily follow. You can be a fan and also tell the truth. Just ask the boss. Now... We do, though, have to look at some other elements to, to try to help us. Uh, so that's, just, that's sort of a negation, like that argument doesn't work, that just because I'm a fan, I can't write truth. Yeah, and I would add to that,
0: too, that there's such an ethic of honesty mm. in the book of Acts that for Luke to exhibit such an ethic of honesty, like we're going to see people who lie die. That's in Acts chapter 5. That's coming up. You know, like people lie, and they experience judgment from it. He'd have to be a pretty wicked guy to have such an ethic of honesty, but then be unhonest in his presentation of it, so.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, if you've got your Bible, or we'll put it back up on the screen here, Luke uh, 1, 1 through 4, um, what we see him saying is he's going to go to the eyewitnesses, the ministers of the Word, who have delivered that message to us, and he's going to ask them some questions. He's going to interview them, um, and he's going to write those things down. And, and here's what he says in verse 3. It's, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So this is what he is saying in his two-part series. This is how he's trying to write it. I mean, you hear things like certainty and honesty and orderly, and I'm looking very closely at the things, and I'm going to the eyewitnesses, he has stated up front that his, his hope is to provide a true, accurate account. And as Ryan said, uh, to say that and then go around and just start lying about all these things or embellishing these things uh, would have, in uh, I believe, uh, created uh, this disconnect between audience and writer, okay? So imagine a writer uh, tells a story and they, they say, this is a true story, and then people find out it's not a true story. Well, people are gonna stop reading that book because they say, I I don't wanna be lied to. And so when when the audience writer trust relationship has been broken, what's going to happen to a document, because especially back in the day, it took a lot to copy and write and rewrite the book of Acts, you wouldn't go to that effort, that expense in order to propagate something that you knew uh, had violated the the audience writer trust. Uh, hopefully that makes sense, but it's a pretty amazing thing that a document like this makes it all the way out of antiquity, which means that there was a lot of trust between the reader and the writer that was intact. They said these are true thoughts because the readers were definitely reading it as truth and and as we said earlier, it would have been proven false if it was. So um, I think that 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 explains at least why uh, the conflict of interest isn't something that we necessarily need to worry about. That being said, how do we understand then the book of Acts? Because what we're going to see is it's clear that Luke wants to convince people that Jesus was who he said he was. So so don't hear me wrong. It's not that, that Luke is just a completely unbiased interpreter of of history he has a bias he wants people to know what he knows he wants people to come into relationship with Jesus he wants them to experience the life change that he has and so it's not a strict history as we like to think of of history writings it's what I would call theological history theological history So, what you're going to see is he's not just recording everything. He's picking and choosing which things he wants to include in his theological history of the first 30 years of the Jesus movement so that people can come to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and how it operated in the first century, right? Like, he has a very—this theological history that he pulls together, right? That's what you called it? Yeah. Is— very sermon-centric at the same time. There's 18,500 words in the book of Acts. I counted them this week. Uh, No, I didn't. Just kidding. We have softwares that do this. But 9,000, over 9,000 of them are sermons. Um, So, half of the book of Acts is recorded sermons. Here, I mean, there's other points in in the the, the book of Acts where he'll just kind of mention uh, that he'll put in a long sermon and say, and they taught many more things. Or he'll even say, Paul came over, and he delivered a long message. Or he'll provides us uh, a way of, or like a picture of Paul's uh, preaching for a long time, so long that some guy falls asleep and falls out a window. Uh, for, for some reason, uh, preaching is a huge part of this theological history and how the movement of history of, of Christianity has gone forward.
1: Yeah. And so, as we're reading through the book of Acts, uh, there's, both of these things I want, I want you to, to think about. One is that I'm reading accounts of things that actually happened. And there will be times when you read the book of Acts that you will say, no way, no way, that did not happen, that cannot have happened uh, because it's going to challenge our Western modern scientific minds. But these things happened. The second thing you have to realize is that Luke is trying to tell you something theological by including these particular stories or even these words of the sermons that he records. So both things are happening. Both things are happening. And so we have to read it as such. Uh, We don't just have here a record of the interviews that he gave. We don't just have transcripts of the interviews. He has come with the information he has, and put them into a form that is going to tell a large, uh, give a larger picture of what's happening in this Jesus movement. But it's important that it's, that it's true. So I want to read you a, a, a quote here from one of the commentaries that I was reading through this week. Over 100 years ago, the British archaeologist Sir William Ramsey set out to disprove the historicity of Acts. But after extensive work, particularly in Turkey, he became convinced of the book's reliability, and so he converted to Christianity. People have been trying to disprove acts for a very long time. Some people think they've done it, uh, but others have, in their investigation of it, been turned to the Christian faith. There's actually another book. If you want to read a great book about sociology, it's from a professor that used to teach for years and years over at the University of Washington. It's called The Rise of Christianity by a guy named Rodney Stark. And the same thing happens to him. He tries to explain from a sociological perspective how a movement like Christianity could have become what it became. And he writes a couple hundred pages on it, and he's probably written a lot more on it. But what happened is he got to the end, and he just realized, actually, the numbers don't add up. It can't happen without the Holy Spirit. And he became a Christian. And... I just, I, I want to say those things because as we look at Acts, it's going to challenge us, could this really have happened, but this is a historical account. This is important that we know that these, these are real things that happened in real history and in order for it to shape us and how we live in our current day and age because Jesus is on trial today as well. Jesus is on trial today as well.
0: Yeah, so, so we can really uh, really trust Luke in this way. He doesn't have this conflict of, of interest necessarily. He's trying to accomplish something uh, to his own audience, these, these Greeks who probably didn't know Jesus but had just heard about them to try to instill faith in them so that they could have certainty. But Why does it matter for us today? Like what, what, So what for us?
1: Great question. We think it matters. That's why we're uh, teaching on it. So return with me to the courtroom. Jesus is on trial. Uh, The world is asking could he really have been the son of God? And his entire case hinges on this, his witnesses. It's actually his plan to bring no other evidence to the table, including himself. He won't testify for himself. He just says, my case hinges on my witnesses. So we're calling this series Witness. The witnesses are important. So that's God's plan, <laughs> crazy as it is. Explain how this, Ryan, connects with the Gospels and even what we studied in the Gospel of Mark.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, we see in the Gospel of Mark, the sermon series that we just did, we called it the most important question ever asked, Right? And that's because Jesus showed up on the scene, and the question was, um, who do you say that I am? And we see lots of people trying to answer this question correctly. Peter, Peter kind of gets it right at one point, but then he gets called Satan right in the next breath, you know? Like, um, And it isn't until Jesus' death that a centurion answers this correctly. You are the Son of God. So here in, in this like in the in the Mark series, in the Gospels, we have an account of people witnessing Jesus and testifying to the fact eventually that He's the Son of God. Now, in Acts, we have a little bit of a shift going on here um, because this testifying, uh, people aren't looking at Jesus and making these declarations. People are looking at the apostles, and to say it more correctly, people are looking at the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. The apostles becoming witnesses themselves, and they're answering the question correctly now. And so that, that's kind of our transition. People looked at Jesus in the Gospels, and Jesus was trying to help them answer that question correctly, and now people are looking at the church. And the church, like Luke to Theophilus, is trying to help them answer that question. Who is Jesus? And so they're witnessing in that way, in as much as the Holy Spirit works through them. So...
1: Cool. Yeah, Yeah, so let's read two two passages here that that explain this idea. So first look at Luke twenty four, which is the end of the first episode of the mini series. And what we're gonna see is the exact same thing repeated in slightly different order at the very beginning of Acts. This really becomes the hinge point for understanding how Luke and Acts connect together. So Luke 24, starting in verse 44, Jesus has died. He has risen from the grave. His disciples have seen him. Thomas has gotten to touch his hands and eat with him. Um, And then verse 44 says this, Then he said to them, then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened his minds to, to to understand, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, "Thus it is written that the Christ must suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem." And this is here it is. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And here's where we don't understand why he did this. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, lifted up his hands, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now flip over to Acts chapter 1. He's going to give us just a very brief recap of why he's writing the book. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up and after had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We just read about that. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you heard from me. Here he's talking about the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, when will this time be to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went. And behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken you up into heaven will come back in the same way as he went into heaven. So basically saying, Go do what Jesus commanded you to do, which was, to be witnesses in power through the Holy Spirit. You see those three elements, Holy Spirit, power, and witness. And so, Ryan, what does it mean to be a witness?
0: That's a great question. Um, I think what's, yeah, so at the end of Luke here, we have Holy Spirit, power, and witnessing. And It says you are witnesses, or you have been witnesses. You could translate it. And then in Acts, um, Luke says, but that's not all that happened in that conversation. He says there's, there's the Holy Spirit and the power because you will be witnesses. And so there's this, there's this uh, sense here that something different is happening now. It's not just like we were in the Gospels, we were around Jesus and we saw what he was doing, we have witnessed it, but actually we will be witnesses. We're going to get up in that, uh, that, that uh, witness box right next to the judge at some point. And so what does it mean to be a witness? well, to witness something, you don't have to be that impressive, right? Maybe you were just around and you just saw it happen. But to be witnesses, there's actually something that you have to do, that, that you have to step out and do. And to be a witness when it gets tied to this element of the Holy Spirit and power is is really you witness to, to Jesus in so much as you let the Holy Spirit work through you. Yeah. And it's it's both in word and in deed. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, It's really robust, and we're going to see, like, how that actually looks. It's ambiguous at this point, right? Like, what does it actually look like? Yeah. So
1: So this two-sided coin of of witnessing or being a witness is really, really important. So I just want to pause on that. To become a witness takes nothing of your own accord. Like, imagine you witness a murder, okay? Come back to our courtroom. You witness a murder. You weren't trying to witness it. In fact, you maybe didn't even want to be there, <laughs> but you happened to see somebody get killed. You are a witness. That's what Luke's saying. You are a witness to these things that just happened. You can't help it. You saw them. And then what he's saying in Acts, and he's using the same word, is he's saying, And so you must go do something, which is to become a witness. Okay, so I I witness a murder, that's horrific, what do I do? I am a witness, you have to, I think, if you're a responsible, human being, you go and you testify to what you've just seen, that's your responsibility, so you are a witness, not by your choice, but now you have a choice to go tell people what you saw, you have responsibility, and that's, that's this dynamic that you see, the flip that's happening between Luke or the Gospel of Mark, which is all about just being there, happening to see these things, and then the book of Acts, which is, okay, Jesus has left, now what do we do? Now we go be witnesses. And, and that is, uh, we got really excited when we saw that this week, we're like, oh my gosh, this explains everything about what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you create anything on your own. You literally just have it revealed to you by the grace of God, and then you go make sure other people know what you've experienced, what you've come to understand, who you are becoming. That's all it means. You're just a witness. Luke's just a witness. Ryan's just a witness. I'm just a witness to what God is doing in the world.
0: And so, in one sense, it's really powerful when we talk about that. How can that actually uh, take form in my life? Is this, does this mean I have to go out and tell everybody? Does this mean, um, how does that actually look on Monday, tomorrow? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you've got your Bible, turn here to Luke 12, because we actually see Jesus, always good to quote Jesus, we actually see what Jesus says about this idea of testifying or witnessing, okay? So, uh, Chapter 12, verse 11, says this. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, basically when they put you on trial, when they bring you into the courthouse, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself. How? How in the world can I not be anxious when I, one, have just seen what they did to Jesus, what more would they do to me? And don't be anxious about what you'll say. Verse 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And this is really the key. To become a good witness, again, has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. He will send his Spirit to you so that you will have the words to say, so that you'll have the boldness To speak up. It's not about you. That's what you will see again and again in Acts. It's not about you. It's about the Holy Spirit working through you. That's how you become a good witness. Say it, say it the way you said it, because I like the way you say it.
0: Well, I think what is cool here is we have the example of the disciples. You look at the disciples, and these aren't impressive guys. We just went through the whole book of Mark, and we saw the disciples kind of fumble over themselves, trying to figure out who Jesus was. Now in, in Acts, they're really impressive. There, there's a lot of things happening through them. And so I say it like this, you, uh, you don't have to be impressive to witness Jesus. You just have to allow the Holy Spirit to impressively witness through you. And so, in in one sense, we're really just conduits to the mission Mm -hmm. of God. And that means that we actually have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, The person of the Holy Spirit, um, sometimes we can be a, a little bit handicapped in our understanding of what is your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? Just try to answer that question. What's your relationship like with the Holy Spirit? And the more robustly you answer that question, I bet the better of a witness that you are in this world. You know, because there's a relationship that happens where we depend on the Holy Spirit, and that's how the power comes through God's witnesses to this world. We can only witness as effectively as, as the Holy Spirit's witnessing through us. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, here, here's what's important. So I just read a passage about you'll have the words to say. But actually, what you you realize in the book of Acts, it's not only the words that you say, but it's your entire life that is witness to Jesus. Because he doesn't just want to give you new words to say, and new understanding to articulate. He wants to change every part of your life. Your whole life is a testimony. Your whole life is a witness to who Jesus is. That is is so important to understand that it's not just acoustic blasts that the Holy Spirit makes divine. He he wants to change every part of who we we are, how we work on Monday to Friday at our jobs, what what kind of a friend we are, what kind of a, a mother or a father we are, what kind of a husband or a wife we are. Everything about us, witnesses. And so you can't just say, well I say it right and I say it boldly. But every other part of my life is untransformed or unimpressive. Everything about you is your witness. That's what we'll see in the book of Acts.
0: And, and what's great is we can look at it and we can ask the individual questions. How is this going to change my life? And when all of us start asking those questions and start answering them and see the Holy Spirit start to witness through us, it becomes a corporate reality. And, and what, what I mean by that is all of us, end up functioning in the same way together. There's a lot of corporate things that are happening, huge pictures of of peace and love and generosity here in the book of Acts that are only so big because everybody's on board doing it, that everybody's leaning into this concept of witness and what it looks like. And so we have magnificent things happening and and the movement's going forward on some really unprecedented scales.
1: Yeah, yeah, and actually what you see is because you can probably feel like this, what is my individual witness really going to do to change Seattle? And the answer is, nothing on its own, except when it's connected to other individuals who are in every element of their life seeking to be a witness and a testimony to the power and the wonder of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, coming together, sacrificing everything that they have for this Jesus, and people see this corporate witness and they're like, what in the world is that? And we literally see it Change the greatest empire that the world has ever known, the Roman Empire, which becomes a Christian empire. How does that happen? It's because individual Christians take personal responsibility for being a witness, but then they come together with other individuals and they become this body, this collective, which becomes an even bigger witness, which even becomes a bigger witness, which takes over the entire world. And now you can see how Jesus' words can be true, that his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's all by witness.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you're hinting at something here: is that the the sum of the parts is more than the whatever. Yeah. Is, that, is there a saying? Do you know it? Is off the top of your head? The product is Greater more than, than the whole. Yeah. yeah the, the product the is more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Because yeah. what happens here? There's an element here that there's an internal witnessing that happens. We not only witness to the world, but we get the opportunity to witness to one another, mm. and that's really exciting because honestly, um, all of us have the ability to witness. To something, some way that the Holy Spirit's come through our life and changed us, made us new people. And those ways are very different or maybe in different categories or areas than other people sitting here in this congregation right now. And, and so, for example, we could talk about giving. We could talk about giving. There's people in this congregation that they witness to God, uh, to, to Jesus and to what he has done and God's faithfulness to the world through their finances in crazy ways. And they have the opportunity to witness to other people about that. You know, I mean, sometimes if you've ever been in an African-American church, the preacher will be up there and he'll be going on about a topic and he'll say how it's changed, it changes live, and he'll say, can I get a witness? And then well, the people out there will say, the people who have experienced it, they'll say, amen. I'm a witness to that. Yeah. That works. That's real. And so that's really the, the dynamic. That there's an internal witness to this book as well that's going to be fun to engage.
1: Which is really your way of saying, we'd like you guys to do more of the amening. Oh, amening said. is great. Amening is great. Yeah. Yeah, because we need to get a witness up in here. We do. Now, Galen, where's Galen? Amen. Yeah, Galen. <laughs> here's my witness. And I'll tell you about Galen. He came up. We had a group of meet- leaders met last night. You came up, brother, in our meeting, because you're being a good witness. Because they said in my fellowship group, Galen remembers everything that we talked about in the sermon. How you do that, brother? Can I get a witness? <laughs> Yeah, you're sitting in the Spirit here, and, you, and then you're witnessing to the fact that the Spirit of God is moving in you, and everybody in your fellowship group knows about it. And I've had other people that tell me, oh, Galen. Sorry, I didn't know I was going to go off on Galen, but <laughs> this guy's a witness that have said, I love how Galen, when he worships, he's playing the keys, but you can tell he's worshiping. Can I get a witness? Galen's witness. I mean, this is how the body builds up. So if you want to know how to worship, how to live your life for God, ask, you could ask Galen. Could you witness to me how you became like that? How you learned to sit in the Spirit of God during a sermon and be able to recall? Because I, I know myself, I've sit in plenty of sermons and can't remember 10 minutes later what it was about. How do you do that, brother? And you can witness to them. And then we build each other up. And so we're trying to, we're thinking about even ways, and we'll talk about it during this series of how do we internally witness to one another? Because there's somebody in this place tonight, today, this morning, who has struggled with the thing that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a sin that you can't shake, and they've shaken it. And you need to cry out, can I get a witness? Somebody help me get over this. How, How do I learn to be generous with my money? It feels like it owns me. Is there anybody in this place who has felt the freedom that comes by being generous with what God has given you? Can I get a witness? Amen. If you've done it, whoever said amen, go talk to that person if you need it. But we want to try to facilitate these relationships, honestly, like as tangible and practical, if, say, since we talked about it earlier, money, if you struggle to say there's no way I could ever tithe my income, There's just no way. I feel like, you know what that is? That's bondage language. That's chain language. There's no way I'll ever get out of this. Somebody has been in the exact spot that you are and has gotten out of it. And I guarantee it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you need to ask them. So you could come to to us and say, I'd like to talk to somebody who who has learned to live a generous life. And what we want to do, rather than make those people come up here because they don't want to be known, but we want to connect you to those people. You could come to us and say, I'd like to get some, some freedom in this part of my life. Could you connect me with somebody who you know is generous? And we'll connect you. And like, that's that, a real thing we want to do.
0: Yeah, and and that, that's just a, a one among a long list. Yeah of things that that we really hope to see happen. Like, this is not just a sermon series. This is a a community um, growing and building, and and you could even call it a co-op, and then a, a, a reaching out to the world in a very significant, significant way, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where is that bondage language in your life? Where is it? Identify it, and see who else, see, put yourself out there. It takes being transparent, being vulnerable. See if there's other people who have experienced this and are able to overcome it. That's what the church is all about internally shedding that bondage
1: language so that we
0: can witness to the world in some amazing ways that can change the empire of Seattle,
1: right? All by the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And so we'll, we'll just end, end with this because these are the themes we want you to keep your eye on as we go through the book of Acts. You will have power. It will come through the Holy Spirit and it will make you witnesses to the glory of God everywhere you go. And what we see in the book of Acts is people are witnesses. The book itself, the the record we have that, that Luke has written down for us, the Bible is a witness to the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And then the Holy Spirit himself is a witness. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see the truths of the world. We talked about the veil being removed, the centurion last week who just gets it. Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit did that. He opened his eyes. Um, and so you have those three categories. But, but if you actually see it right, and we'll see this in the book of Acts, that's like one, two, three. People, Bible, Holy Spirit. Actually, there's category zero, which is the same as category three, which is Holy Spirit. Before anybody can become, any person can become a witness, the Holy Spirit opens their eyes, then they become a witness in and of themselves, then some of them will write down what they've experienced and received uh, and watched happen in the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit will also, as we read that account, will open our eyes to say, oh my gosh, the book of Acts is true. Does that that make sense? So how did the book of Acts come to be? It actually goes, the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of these apostles who performed these mighty acts and said these words. And Luke saw that that was inspired stuff. And so he wrote it down in the Bible. And then as we come 2,000 years later and we read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit will open our eyes to see, oh my gosh, that's true. That's true and then the process recycles, and it multiplies, and it goes, and it goes. But, but you have to see, it's bookended by the Holy Spirit. He's the beginning and the end of all witnessing. And so uh, a long time ago, probably in like the third century or so, some Christians titled Luke's book, because he didn't make up this title himself, uh, they titled it The Acts of the Apostles, because it describes some great acts that the apostles did. But a better title would be The Acts of the Holy Spirit. But an even better title would be, if I were writing it, which I don't get to, (laughs) except for these weeks, is The Witness of the Holy Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the witness of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. He is lighting up the world with the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the glory of the Father for the good of all those who humble themselves and sit underneath the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 And I just want to add, too, that if...
0: We're talking about the Holy Spirit in some pretty significant ways here. And if that's like very strange to you, that's okay. This book is going to force us to get really clear on what does it actually mean to partner with the Holy Spirit. What does it actually look like? In as much as we can get clear, um, we're going to talk about that a lot. So keep on coming. We're going to flesh that out. Say that
1: thing you said about the wind. Man. Oh, yeah, the can wind. Can I get a witness about well, that Well, Jesus wind? said it first. Okay. <laughs> and you're just it's... witnessing to his words. Exactly.
0: Go. There you go. In, in John chapter 3, Jesus says, uh, you can't see the spirit. The spirit is like the wind. You can only see what he, uh, the consequences of the spirit. And so what we're going to be starting to learn how to do is, how do we recognize the spirit when he's moving? How do we get on board with that? And uh, where is that going to take us? And, hope, and we're going to see it, it happen in, in the early church in Acts, and we're going to get to ask the question for ourselves, how can this happen in our own lives, in our own body?
1: Yeah, and how do we identify that was wind, not not human beings? Because the church, and we get to so uh, we'll tell if you got people who love history, world history, if they love origin stories, you know, like how did how did Wolverine become Wolverine? Uh, Those kinds of people. Um, If you love origin stories, world history, if you love sociology, we're gonna tie all of that into this series. Invite your friends who want to understand, because the church has had both really bad witness throughout the years, but it's also had really good witness that has redeemed humanity in ways. So we want to, we want which re- is why we're here today because of the good witness, because of the, of the good witness. So there's good and there's bad. And we want to talk about how do you distinguish the work of the actual Holy Spirit versus the work of, of men. So uh, we'll get to talk about all that. Wonderful. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray yeah. And then, and then we'll, we'll worship Jesus. Uh, Father God, this is a crazy plan that you have staked the reputation and the name of your son Jesus on his witnesses, us, the church, that we are the ones that take the Holy Spirit with us into the ends of the earth. Uh, It's it's terrifying in one sense, God, but it's also uh, an enormous privilege to get to be a part of your plan for the salvation of the world, for the redeeming of all things, for healing the land that you created, God. We pray that there would be great unity amongst churches in the city by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be working for one cause and one mission, which is the fame and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that many would experience freedom and salvation from all those things that keep them hostage because of his great name, because of the work of the cross because of the resurrection from the dead. The new life would sprout up all over and new witnesses would join the cause. And it starts right here with us, learning ourselves to become unencumbered witnesses of the risen Lord Jesus. We pray this all and much more in his name. Amen.